0: Hello
1: and welcome back to the State of Play podcast, episode 17,
0: and I'm joined
1: across the pond by Matt Sant'Angelo as usual. Matt, how are you doing,
0: man? Doing pretty well. Uh, like I've been pretty much explaining in the previous couple episodes, weather is starting to get warmer. I'm um, getting outside more, playing some uh, some football, of course, when I have some uh, some friends around to play football, but uh, yeah, it's uh, one of those things where my, my weekends are always pretty much sorted, start my day off with some coffee, watch football, and then afternoon I'm doing something productive, something enjoyable outside, so uh, I really can't complain other than the fact that uh, Milan are a little bit of in a free fall state right now, but um, I guess we'll, we'll see how that finishes off at the, at the end of the season.
1: Well, you're a lucky man because I'm looking outside my window right now and it's very, very grey in London and the weather is not being as kind here as it is to you in in New Jersey. So I I am jealous for that fact and also to compound my misery, Arsenal decided to put in what I can only describe as probably their worst performance of the season uh this afternoon kind of woke up you know had breakfast it was a normal day um did some you know read read some articles watched some tv um uh, you know just did did some you know reasonably productive stuff it was a good start to the day and then um you know when when arsenal use or your your team loses you just you just don't want to do anything else and then now we're
0: recording so if i sound depressed you know why? Well, hopefully this will uh, get us every- everyone here cheered up. And uh, yeah, I know we've got Champions League football coming up. So I know both of us are not really involved or have a stake in that. But uh, nonetheless, it's exciting times to watch as a football fan.
1: Yeah, and we're hoping that we do have a stake in it next season. But I mean, before we get on to some more cheery topics, I think the first one that we need to talk about, obviously, is um, kind of the unfortunate state of, of, of racism in, in football at the moment. Uh, specifically in Italy, Matt, the the you know the Serie A that you uh, know and love. Uh, wh- why don't you talk to us a bit about kind of what the reaction's been like in in Germany, in Germany, in Italy, um, of kind of the uh, the Moisequine, um situation where there was some monkey chants. Um, uh, I think it was a Cagliari away. Uh, We had the whole Bonucci situation and Allegri coming out with kind of some quite fluffy statements, quite wishy-washy, not really backing... Team properly, which was really unfortunate to see actually. And for him to get more support from the likes of, you know, Raheem Sterling and, and players internationally that that aren't even his teammates or have never played with him, probably never spoke to him, is is quite concerning, isn't it, Matt? And you know, I've heard the headlines here over in the UK and it was a, a really big and well publicised story. What's the reaction been like in Italy?
0: Yeah, it's been pretty much everything that you would pretty much imagine with any type of racial topic or racism that's occurring in football in 2019, right? The fact that we're we're having this conversation now in 2019 and the fact that we have to talk about this, uh, it's, it's, it's unfortunate, but I think if we're not talking about it, we're not shedding light on it. Uh, We're kind of doing a disservice to the actual people that are being affected by it, which seems like every weekend. Uh, Khalidou Koulibaly has been one of the guys who has been getting it pretty often, and for players to have to deal with that constantly... Um, but still, turn in exceptional performances for their for their club. Um, it's 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 pretty courageous, if you ask me. And you know, it was unfortunate. I, I was following the game, uh, the Juve game, uh, while I was at work, and then I came home to see on my, my, my tweet, my my, uh, my Twitter feed. Excuse me. Uh, that you know, there are racial chants and stuff like that. Moise, Moise Kane scores a great goal um, for Juve, obviously, and then has to deal with that. Matuidi backs him up, of course. But then it's Bonucci who's going to the media saying, well, you know, it's 50-50. He provoked him. And I'm saying to myself, wait a second. So because he celebrated a goal away... He had okay. Well, he provoked the team, and he by default or provoked the ultras and uh, opposing ultras by default um, is somewhat accountable or has to be somewhat accountable for for receiving racial chants. Like that's ridiculous. And even when he tried to, he got a ton of heat and ton of criticism on social media, obviously, and still is um, from all sides of it: Milan fans, Juve fans, um, and as you just mentioned. Um, players around Europe. You know Mario Balotelli even came out and said, "Man, I if if he's lucky that I wasn't in the same locker room as him at that when that happened because um you know Mario Balotelli is a very outspoken guy. He probably would have started a fight with the guy. But um yeah, it's it's really unfortunate. Bonucci is one of those players where um you know, he's obviously created quite a bit of controversy around his name with the move to Milan then back to Juve. Um, and then when you have something like this on top of what we saw this weekend in the Milan game where he stomped on Kristoff Piontek's foot... Uh, just looks like a really dirty player, in my opinion, what he's doing. He's really not helping his cause, helping his reputation. He didn't even really back. He tried to backtrack um, off his statements, um, of course, with the 50-50 comment. And even then, it wasn't really like an apology. He wasn't like, you know, I was wrong. I was out of touch. I really apologize to Moisey Kane. I should have had my teammates back. It wasn't anything like that. And I think it just goes to show you that I'm not saying everyone in Italy is has that, that racial side to them. I, that's definitely not what I'm saying here. But you can clearly see that it is enough. Well alive and even Cagliari's owner was pretty much kind of doubling down and saying you know there was nothing there you know that he did this or he did that and it's really unfortunate and it gives a really bad light or bad reputation to Syria because we all obviously know the football there um is really really solid it's really enjoyable to watch and as someone who's in that space you know creating content talking like right we are here about on a podcast and and, you know in that eye of people that I have such a good big following with um I hate to be talking about it, but you know it's something that we definitely got to shed a light on. We got to be open about it, and the fact that it is a problem is one of those things that we have to continually uh, double down on because it, it just shouldn't be happening. It's it's happening in in England, of course. It's happening pretty much everywhere. Um, but you know, when it's uh, a big club like this, obviously it gets put into a little bit more of a broader uh, or a bigger light, shall I say? But you know, I tweeted something out afterwards, and I was pretty much saying Raheem Sterling gets the racial racial abuse and opposing players from opposing. Club Clubs come to his support on Instagram like any normal human being would do, right? Because it's obviously bigger than football. And Bonucci, instead of his own teammate, is not even supporting him in that in that situation. A teenager. Like, and a, a Bonucci has kids. Like, he, he's, you know what I'm saying? So it's one of those things where it's not setting a good precedent for your for your children. And uh, it, look, it needs to change. Racial Racism, it needs to be dead. Uh, it needs to bury it, leave it in the past. But unfortunately, it's something that we're still dealing with at this moment in time.
1: Yeah, I think uh, the Bonucci thing was—you kind of had to double take and, and read it a, a few times. I—I I thought I, I was certain there was some sort of mistranslation because you know you got like Calcio Mercato. They—they um, they post a lot of their headlines in English on, on Twitter, and I was like, or like football Italy, you know those those Twitter accounts, right? And I was like, oh, this is this is crazy. Surely it's like a miss a mistranslation, right? But you know, obviously digging into it, you realise that it was exactly what he said and I think I tweeted something along the lines of you know he's made 87 appearances for Italy Bonucci he's captained Italy he's often Juve captain in the absence of Chiellini so to talk about someone who's this senior um, in kind of world football this is a guy that was looked at as um, you know uh, just before he went to Milan the the season before as potentially the best centre-back in the world right and (laughs) <laughs> it got a bit of traction but one of the comments was he was only captain one time in the season only one and I was like so <laughs> even if he was captain just once it's it, you know it still speaks volumes that he is considered big enough as a personality in terms of his experience and everything um, to be Juventus captain to have that responsibility a, a club of such history and and, um, and kind of a personality in itself and for him to come out and say stuff like that is just kind of unacceptable, and um, for him to try and uh, double down. I mean, even even Allegri, who is a, a very intelligent guy, um, the the stuff that he was saying after the game was really, really strange and and quite coded. It was a, it was a real shame, and this is obviously after you know we had the international break where Callum Hudson Odoi made his debut, an eighteen year old kid away at Montenegro, and he was racially abused. Um, it's just not good enough. I mean, these are guys that are 18 and 19. Uh, I, think, I think a couple months ago, Rian Brewster, who's um, who's 19, he was 18 at the time when it happened. He was racially abused in an under-21s game, an under-21s game. And you're talking about now that um, th- these are essentially, you know, Callum hudson adoy is only just turned into an adult. And to be subjected to abuse like that is, is frankly vile. And it's, it's nearly happening to children. You know, if you're 18, you've, you've, you're, you yeah know, you've just turned into an adult legally speaking.
0: Yeah. And you know, it's, it's also sad too, is the, uh, the quotes from Danny Rose, you know, uh, where he was pretty much saying, you know, like, I, I almost, I like, can't wait to hang up my boots. I almost can't wait to retire. So I don't have to deal with this. Like, come on. Like, I, that that should not be. This should not be happening. This should. This is what not. This is not what anyone should have to deal with. Whether it's it's not even sport, right? This is this is a job. Obviously, we know it's a different job from a, you know a nine to five in the office type job. But it's a job. You're reporting to work. Training. You're you're expected to show up to work, uh, you know work your hardest and put your best foot forward. And for you to come to you know a football pitch in this situation, almost like a workplace and to have people constantly you know have that fear of being racially abused or having to it's 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 terrible and especially for England you know that the entire country and the world in general is very diverse the game is very welcoming obviously we all know that football is the universal global sport it is very welcoming for all races all backgrounds everyone and you know for them that to still be a problem um, it's it's really a terrible sight to see, and I you know I think you know there's uh, there are certain leagues have done or a little bit more than others to try to combat that, to try to do some things to uh, shed light and to be a little bit more um, you know have a little bit more of a cautious, more of a, a more heavier approach towards dealing with it. But with Serie A, it's almost like they're slapping these teams with a minimal fine, a small match ban, or maybe or even a, a hashtag initiative on Twitter. That's not enough. That's that's not going to do anything, because what you're doing by giving them such small punishments is making light of the situation, and that's not going to help anything.
1: Yeah, I mean, it's, it's almost as if the fines are bigger for talking about a referee in a post-match interview than it is for a whole club where some of their fans are racist. And I know it's not all the fans, but... You know, I think one thing that Allegri did say, which I think was quite good in the post-match interview, was he was talking about, you know, the technological advances that we have now and the amount of cameras that are in stadiums. It's not hard to pinpoint those those people. But I just want to kind of talk about a couple more notes of, of kind of racial abuse that have happened this season. I mean, PM at Kabamiang in a North London derby against Tottenham, there was a banana skin thrown at him, you know? You're talking about one of the biggest games in football, the North London Derby, it's you know on TV's everywhere, and the, the this kind of behaviour is is horrible. And then the Mohamed Salah uh, scoring a winner uh, away at Southampton only a couple of days ago, you know, he was subjected to racial abuse as well all over Twitter. It was crazy. I mean, um, I didn't watch the game and I wasn't kind of on Twitter during the game, but you know you look at some of the tweets afterwards, it's just horrible viewing. Uh, you're talking about a, a guy, Mohamed Salah, who's just seems like one of the nicest people in football. To be subjected to to that kind of abuse is is is, is just not good enough. But Matt, you kind of uh, alluded to fines and um, and such. What what do you think is the the solution? What can you know the Italian FA and what can other uh, governing bodies do to actually try and combat this? Because I was actually having a a debate, not debate. I was having a conversation with a few of my friends who, and they were kind of talking about how um, you know. They should. We should be. Uh, we should be. Uh, giving uh, them stadium bans. Not. 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 Not the. Um. Not the fans. But making uh, teams play behind closed doors. I was kind of arguing along the sides if, if. Um. If fines were really really heavy and actually made a a dent in in clubs' uh, balance sheets, I think it would be a a a big thing to do. Uh, but but I think the overall con- uh, overarching consensus is that more needs to be done that's not that that is uh that's being done now
0: yeah i i think a couple of things or things that have come to my mind as to uh, what type of punishments or or the severity of some punishments and how that could obviously have an effect on you know dealing with this thing and and having these peop- these teams really feel it. These clubs really feel it, right? Because I think you know, obviously, it's as you just mentioned, it's not all the fans, but you have to, you can't just say, well, it's only one or two guys, so we're not going to punish them. Like now, you can't do that because uh, that means you're allowing it, you're accepting it, you're accepting of the fact that we're going to allow this to come into the to the to the arena or the pitch, and we're not going to address it head on. For me, if you started having like a not tiered like a tier for, for fines but let's say for example like a first time offense you got this fine second time offense maybe it's a little more of a hefty fine as you mentioned hitting the balance sheet um with maybe a uh, a uh a transfer ban or something like that where not so much a full-fledged transfer ban but maybe a limit on how many players can join the club or something like that and then if it comes a reoccurring theme then you start docking points you start docking points. Now these certain teams start feeling it in the table. Maybe they get relegated. Like you know, what I'm saying because if team like Cagliari is a perfect example, right? They're not a team that ever competes for a Champions League, Champions League spot, or Europa League spot. So what's a ten thousand dollar, ten ten thousand euro fine for them? Nothing. They're going to probably stay middle of the table and keep going on, and that's going to be the end of it. But if you if they're a if you see that they're a consistent offender of this, and you dock them money plus points. Now, all of a sudden, maybe they start thinking, okay, well, now we can get relegated. Like, we can really feel it that way. And that's going to obviously hit their bottom bottom line. So uh, that's something that I would definitely look at is if um as punishments but the problem is is that the people at the top of the italian federation um and the league committees they don't do enough we saw it it's just quite it's 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 cut and dry we saw what happened with even suli montari a couple years ago where he was pretty much saying like pointing to his skin saying they're racially abusing me went to the ref and the ref did nothing the ref did nothing he actually got sent off i believe in that game or he got given like a yellow card for kind of protesting to the referee like that's absurd that is absolutely absurd that he is getting punished for just bringing bringing attention to the referee who is has the authority to stop the game. He has the authority to stop the game, and there was an interview years ago with Kevin Prince Boateng. I don't know if you saw that. I can share it on, on my account so people can take a look at that. But he was racially abused um, in a friendly match. I think against po- uh, Pro Patria. It was a friendly match. Really wasn't on TV. But the, he walked off. He kicked the ball into the crowd. Walked off the pitch, and the referee stopped the game. And then he came in an interview with CNN, and he pretty much said, you know, I think it's in the hands of the referee because ultimately they have the whistle, they can they can pull the players off the pitch and then add on the time as they need, just like how we see with VAR, just like how we see with weather conditions. So I think for me, again, there's a, there's ways to do it. But I think the problem is is that the Italian Federation and the league itself is so out of touch with how to handle certain matters uh, pertaining to racism.
1: I, I totally agree. And it's it's on, the onus is on the uh, governing bodies to incentivize, not incentivize, to like kind of force the hand of the clubs, isn't it? And... Uh... I mean, I think if if you're a captain of a, of a team of, of, of a you know group of players, and, and one of your players gets racially abused, I think Harry Kane talked about it recently. They asked him, you know, would you would you walk off the pitch? And he was just kind of like, well, you know, I'm I'm there to support um the the group of players. And I think until we see something really drastic like that, unfortunately, where you know a whole squad of players, say the England team, walks off the pitch, I don't. It's 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 it's. I, something needs to happen to to spark uh, these governing bodies into life because at the moment they're they're being very tepid. They're not doing anything, which is not good enough. Um, and you know, unless something uh, changes uh, from internally, and I, as you've kind of alluded to, Matt, they they don't seem to be interested in doing that.
0: Yeah, I, I think what's what, what unfortunately it's going to take is a match of bigger magnitude, not a Juve Cagliari, it's going to take maybe a Champions League knockout match or a big international match with two big teams that's uh, well-publicized, a lot of viewers on it, and you're going to have something happen, unfortunately, but then I think you're going to have someone be brave enough, courageous enough, as you mentioned, with a guy like Harry Kane or a captain of a specific club or a nation, step off the pitch and kind of be that first foot forward to say, like, we're not standing for this. UEFA, FIFA, do something about this. Otherwise, we're going to stand, that. and if, if they start getting that effect and that negative publicity that they already pretty much have uh, around their name with, you know, got, uh, Infantino and Set Bladder of the past for other matters. That's where I think you'll start to see, hopefully see some real change. But, you know, it's unfortunate that it's, again, we're having to deal with this and talk about this for this long on a podcast in 2019.
1: Yeah, it's ridiculous. Um, and I, I do really hope that it doesn't take something like that for FIFA and UEFA to finally step up and whatever for, for federations. But I just think that's... Um, unfortunately, the the reality of the situation. But um, uh, let's move on. Uh, we had a question from Roberto Grosso, who um, is always asking us questions about keepers, Matt. Uh, as as that's his specialty. And he asked about um, Robin Olsen, the Roma goalkeeper, and his kind of inconsistencies and whether or not Roma will look to replace him in the summer. So, how he, I, from from my kind of viewing on the outside in, I think he actually started the season pretty decently didn't he and then it's kind of tailed off and now he's kind of making glaring mistakes week in week
0: out um, so what are your thoughts on him I, I, from the from the moment I saw that move happen, uh, selling Allison to Liverpool, I think I understood where Roma's situation were at. there the, I understood their situation. having to. They can't turn down that big money for Allison after one really, really good year. So I, I understood why they sold him. But the way they replaced him was was all wrong. And I think from the moment that happened, I think you can you could quickly see that Roma fans really weren't too optimistic about him being in net. Um, yeah, As you mentioned, he had some moments early on in the season where he wasn't too bad. But I think, you know, with you look at the collective season that Roma have had, obviously their manager's been sacked. Their sporting director, Monkey is no longer with the club. He's back. He's back at Sevilla. Um, they're running the risk of maybe not even finishing top four. You know that's where you really start to see and a lot of those things become become more magnified, right? Because you're trying to get to the root of the problems and root of the pro- the several problems that you may have. Um, goalkeeping has been an issue for Roma, no question about it. You know they had Wojciech Szczesny, who was great for his one or two seasons with them. They passed the baton right over to Allison. He had another great season, and they've taken a drastic step back with Robert o- uh, Robin Olsen here, of course. So uh, I-, I think for me, I think he's I think he's gone. I think after one season, he's definitely gone. He was a, a monkey hiring or a monkey signing, shall I say? Um, with him out of the picture, Di Francesco out of the picture, uh, a a more full-time manager, uh, aside from Claudio Ranieri, who I don't think is going to stay on long term, I I could really see them going after uh, Alessio Cragno from uh, Cagliari, a young goalkeeper who, um, if it wasn't really for Donnarumma, Alex Meret uh, and some of those guys, I I would think you would start to see a guy like Cragno maybe be like the third choice keeper for the national team. He's had a pretty good season for Cagliari, he's a good talent, he's young. Uh, I think that's kind of where Roma intend to go as a younger keeper. I don't think it'll cost them a ton, but I do think it'll be an upgrade over Olsen, someone who Again, with Krayno is very familiar with the league. You can have him for a decade, and you know he's going to do a good job for you.
1: Yeah, I think that the goalkeeper situation when you get it wrong, it's it's hard and it can be costly. You look at what Manchester City did, where they got in Navas Liverpool and cost him in yeah, the Champions yeah, League yeah, final. Yeah, I mean Real Madrid, uh, they've, they got Courtois in on a on a, uh, a relatively big transfer, considering uh, he only had uh, twelve months left. Uh, probably with a big wage packet as well. And then you've suddenly got him and Navas kind of uh, battling for it, both on big uh, pay packets. And now you've suddenly got uh, Zidane's son coming into the frame as well. Uh, If you don't get it right and you've kind of got this um, situation where there's no nailed number one and you don't have a a keeper who's who's kind of a dominant force, kind of like what Alisson has done at Liverpool, it's a problem. I mean, Arsenal Football Club, (coughs) have only really just replaced uh, uh, Jens Lehmann properly now with uh, Bird Leno. It took them a long time, you know. Uh, it, it takes a long time to find that goalkeeper, the right one. You know, Milan, for example, are very lucky to have a, a guy like Donnarumma who's going to be there for a while. Uh, Man City have now found Edison. But when you do that, find that guy, then suddenly it's like, well, all that money we've spent is is worth it.
0: Well, not to mention, I think there's a lot more problems going on at Roma, and I think there's a lot of things that, you know, you can look at and say, well, yes, Olsen has had his fair share of errors in the back, but defensively, Roma have been terrible. They've been... Pretty poor with you know with the defensive efforts and uh, obviously we know those two things are connected right if your if your goalkeeper's constantly being put in difficult positions and there's going to be a chances where he he looks really bad and then that becomes the thing oh look at that awful save by this guy look at that awful attempt whereas if the defense was doing a little bit of a better job and preventing those chances then you then you kind of you you kind of bail out your your goalkeeper from having to constantly face and be peppered with chances and obviously you're being prone to error. so uh, that that's really probably going to be Rome. Their, Roma's big focus in the summer is, is sorting out the defense um, but I think goalkeeper is going to be the one uh, big key area for them to address because they did spend a lot last summer or rather shall I say they they did get a, quite a few names in but I think they do need um, as you just mentioned before uh, there's going to be a, quite a bit of a, a big overhaul with Roma and um, I think a lot goes down to that goalkeeper and getting someone they could build around for the future
1: yeah I think a goalkeeper a centre back they'll um, probably buy I think you'll see a lot of ingoings and a lot of outgoings. There's players even like you know um, Zaniolo. There's talk of Manolas. There's talk of Under. There's talk of. Uh, there's always chat of Pellegrini. I mean, Edi Ege- got got moved uh, a link to West Ham the other day. You could look at a Roma side next season that has only you know five maybe six of the starting eleven
0: staying in its current shape. Yeah, absolutely. And you know they weren't. I saw people tweeted out pictures, you know, how they were a couple of years ago. They had a nice little defense, they had a good, solid midfield. Um, and then the attacking department, they were still strongly there as well when Djoko had that great season. And then, of course, we saw what they did um, in the Champions League last year. But, you know, it's crazy, right? How quickly things can turn around and, and collapse for a team, a guy like DiFrancesco, who got Roma to a top three finish. They got him to a, a Champions League semifinal. Beating Barcelona, and then he doesn't even make the entire season. And now it looks like they're almost trying to blow this whole thing up and start from scratch.
1: Yeah, I think uh, it, a lot depends on, you know, Totti's involvement now, what's going to happen there, who's going to do the job that Monkey's doing. That's going to be really important. Uh, th- this is the next topic that that keeps popping up, but it keeps popping up for a reason, man, that's the AR, and that's VAR and its poor use in its current. I mean, I was watching. Chelsea Cardiff about a week or so ago and you're talking about Cardiff City football uh, club who are on the verge of relegation right? if results don't go their way and and they don't pick up at least three maybe, yeah three wins maybe in the next uh, in the remaining fixtures in the Premier League they're probably going to go down, they probably need at least two wins and a couple of draws um, and to rely on other uh, results of course but they were 1-0 up against Chelsea And uh, they were very good value for their lead. And then they had two ridiculous decisions go against them. One of them being uh, the offside, which could have been, uh, you know, um that could have been annulled by VAR but i think it was Jamie Carragher have you seen you've seen all the memes going around with him with the goggles kind of explaining uh what the linesman could have seen and it's clear that they they need the help and the officiating in the premier league has been really weak recently uh in these past 3 4 seasons so even if the guy had x-ray vision then only then we we could have blamed him but uh there was another decision which for me was was even worse and that was as soon as after they'd scored chelsea the equalizer um Kepa came out and completely flattened um uh the the oncoming striker and it's it's just it was just ridiculous really like it, it, i couldn't believe that um the red card wasn't given and it's just it's just not really good enough <laughs> anymore like to we're talking about relegation candidates. We're not talking about kind of a mid-table clash where um, it doesn't matter who wins. This is about a team that could lose millions, tens of millions of pounds from going down. And I think the technology needs to come in and you can debate whether or not it's being used correctly currently. And you'll probably go into how it's being used in Serie A at the moment. But in the Premier League, the, the refs need help because at the moment they're not doing a good enough job.
0: Yeah, uh, I you know I I've obviously you have my had my fair share of uh, encounters or uh, observations with Serie A and VAR obviously uh, with Juve Milan there was quite a bit in that game but uh, I I think you you made a great point you know it's it's always it's it's always the matches involving the bigger clubs unfortunately but uh, you know that that gets most of the attention right if you had a team like Spal and Bologna, who again, I think both teams are kind of in that in that region of being relegated. You know, we 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 bring so much attention and and energy and uh, discussion towards the big matches, Juve Milan, and then obviously it's going to get to have a lot of a lot of uh, talking points and stuff in the end. But again, to your point, you know how it's affecting teams from on the bottom side of things. You know that's where you know it's it's really unfortunate to see, and for a team especially like Cardiff, who um, you know they've obviously have had their their, their a really difficult season with uh, Salah losing Salah after that transfer, um, and now they're kind of trying to fight for their life, so to speak, in terms of staying up, uh, staying uh, above relegation waters. To have that, it's it's almost as uh, it's like at some point something's got to change. I know that they haven't quite implemented VAR yet. Um, it's not in the league yet. It's coming next season. But if this is a precursor or a kind of a, a, a prelude to what we're going to see, you know, we obviously know that the Premier League brings a ton of money and, and there's a lot of money involved and it's probably the most watched league in in, in, the, in the world. So now you have to be a little more sharper. The the calls have to be made with a little bit more accuracy and consistency. And, you know, you can look at this, look at what's going on in Serie A, right? It's taking far too long ...for these referees to even go to VAR. I was watching the Juve-Milan game yesterday... ...and it takes them two to three minutes to decide that they're going to go to VAR... ...and then it's another minute or two to look at the replay. Like, come on. It's If you're taking that long to make a decision that you maybe want to look at it... ...just look at it. It's free. It's not costing you anything. If, if, if debate, you exactly. It like, if it's t- if it's taking you that long to look at it... ...then there, you're probably better off like, okay, there's a win- minute window... ...you have your guy in the top... Yeah, take a look at this. It was pretty close. Not to mention for the fact if you just tell the guy to take a look at it, go to it quickly. If you see there's nothing there, pull out, make the decision, and that's and let's go on with the game. But if you're if they're going to be making dragging these calls out and then still not getting them right, like it's going to have a, such a huge effect on certain clubs. And unfortunately for teams like Cardiff, you know maybe it's not getting as much attention, at least in you know, in this space or my neck of the woods but um you know i definitely saw it and i was looking at it and i'm like this can't happen if this is what we're going to be seeing next season for uh, for the premier league with VAR. it's uh we're in for quite a roller coaster season
1: <laughs> <sighs> i can tell you that the most talked about thing in the premier league next season will be VAR. like considering it's already like massively talked about we don't even have it here so uh it's gonna be funny funny for that to happen um uh, next thing we're going to talk about is uh Barcelona sealing up the title, pretty much, over in La Liga. Uh, It's going to be Messi's 10th La Liga title, which is pretty crazy to think about. I mean, when you put the numbers into perspective, we talked about Ronaldo versus Messi last season. Uh, It's a bit strange not to have Ronaldo in La Liga this year. But, I mean, credit to Messi. Um, I think I saw something from uh, the guys over at Statsbomb, you know, Ted Nuxton, uh, some really good uh, stats there. They were talking about how, you know, Barcelona's XG has actually not been that good this season in the league. Their kind of goals conceded uh, or expected goals conceded has actually been not uh, has been quite high. And ha- he was kind of talking about how Atletico Madrid, if they kind of were a bit more consistent and uh, won a few more games rather than uh, getting quite a few draws, they could have actually made a good run to the title. Or if Sevilla, for example... Um, uh, continue their amazing start to the season or if Real Madrid were actually okay, but the difference is Lionel Messi, you've got a team that is not actually that good this season, you've got a guy that is, is willing them to winning, pretty much uh, and Lionel Messi's almost single-handedly at times
0: yeah, absolutely. Um, you know, I mean, I think it was the previous episode or the one beforehand where we talked about the Messi versus Ronaldo debate. Um, and you know, it, it, you can lump both of them in this in this conversation because we, we talked about it. How much a player is worth, right, and an individual player, um, and how much they can actually will a team to victories, even when they're maybe not at their best. And Messi's a prime example of that. And I think you have to also look in this conversation at Luis Suarez, who uh, it seems like a player that some people are torn on. Each and every season, uh, there's point, points in times where, you know, maybe uh, they got to get a new striker. They, he's he's not no longer a top, top guy for Barcelona, or at least he's not Barcelona starting quality. And then he puts in a season, and you look at his numbers at the end, and you're like 20-something goals and, you know, blah, 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 assist. And you're like, he's still right there. Like, he's still a star striker. But when you get getting back to Messi, it's it's crazy. Ten titles, I think the record is 12, if I'm correct. And I, I, I sort of fact check me on it. I think Squawka posted something like that, where um, another three seasons or four seasons in La Liga, he's, I think, only 31. Um, he's definitely an opportunity to break that record. Of course, another one of the records that he would probably break. Um, but yeah, uh, once-in-a-lifetime player, a player that I watch and I continue, continuously be amazed by with what he's able to do on the football pitch. And it looks so effort. It looks so effortless to him. Um, It looks like you know, even with a a title being pretty much wrapped up, um, he's not content. Just like any champion, any big competitor wouldn't be. Um, Not 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 much more to say. I think I covered everything with Messi. But uh, again, another tenth title, uh, being able to uh, outlast and and outbest uh, Atletico Madrid, a team that is very strong. Uh, that again to your point probably should be in a little bit more of a deeper contention for the title but uh, again when you have a player like Messi who can kind of be that difference maker you maybe not have the game but all of a sudden Messi's on the field and in a matter of ten, five 5 to 10 minutes he changes the complexion completely and you wind up being on the losing side of a result
1: mm. just just on Atletico Madrid do you think there's a, there's a chance there's that we could see um either Diego Simeone or uh, Griezmann leave this season. I mean, Simeone obviously has those kind of very close ties with Inter Milan, but I was seeing something the other day. He's the highest paid manager in the world, Matt, which is something that is quite surprising considering Atletico Madrid aren't known for their riches, are they? And, I mean, Griezmann was heavily linked to Barcelona last season and then he did that kind of, like, rather embarrassing video where he was like, I'm staying. Um, But, I mean, is is it... Is it, is it time up now? Like, is it is has he taken, has Cholo Simeone taken them as far as they can go? It's, uh, it's It seems a bit, like, tepid and and a bit stagnant at the moment with FFT.
0: I don't see him leaving, to be honest, right now. I think, you mm. know, I don't think that Atletico Madrid want to be in that position where they got to search for another manager. I think it would be more up to Diego Simeone if he wanted to leave, but I do believe he signed a contract extension for, I think, 2021. Um, so I think if there was, if you're choosing between which of the two would be leaving, um, I would probably say Antoine Griezmann for the simple fact is, and he's in that age where he probably wants to start winning elsewhere, maybe win bigger and better trophies than what he has been at Atletico Madrid. Uh, he's given them quite a bit. He's he's had great seasons for them, no doubt. Uh, they have some pretty decent runs in the Champions League. Um, but you look at it, you look at it and you're thinking as a, from a competitor standpoint. To your point, same thing could even apply somewhat the same with Mauricio Pochettino, right? You know, how far have I taken this team? Is it, is it like can I take them any further than a top four finish? Uh, for obviously, for Tottenham, they're still in the Champions League against City, uh, which I think we'll talk about. But uh, if I had to choose between which of the two will probably leave Atletico Madrid, if any of them leave, um, I would definitely say Antoine Griezmann. You can sell him, fetch a huge profit on him, um, and you can at least dress and, and fill certain areas. Whereas Diego Simeone, it's just really difficult to replace a manager of his caliber, of his ilk, and really the impact he's had on Atletico Madrid.
1: He, he's on 3.3 million euros a, a month pre-tax. Uh, which is which is absolutely insane, right? That is a crazy amount of money. Um, Forty-two million uh, euros a year is uh, pretty incredible. But um, uh, 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 Anton Griezmann, where where could he go? I mean, there were the links to Manchester United a couple seasons ago, and then there was the links to Barcelona last summer. But I don't really see him going to either of those clubs, and it, I don't know. It's it was his window up should he have gone then it could he still go to barcelona do you do you think there's
0: anything there yeah, do you, do you think i anything i think it's possible that he could still uh that that road to barcelona could still be there uh provided that i think barcelona find a way to um, sell Coutinho. I, I don't know if they're going to be able to sell him and get anything back, or if they're not going to get anything close. They're, they're going to take a loss on him. That's no doubt about it, because they paid so much for him, and it really hasn't worked out. But I, I could see Barcelona still being in contention for him. Uh, you know, when you start looking at Premier League clubs, obviously that's, you know, uh, one of the, the first areas you look towards because there's so much money involved. But with Chelsea possibly having a ban and not, not understanding of where that's going to be, uh, Manchester United, you know, is... Are they in that position where they want to pay so much for him, and they have uh, needs at winger? They need to get a central defender. You know, they still have to kind of see what type of team they wants to have. Uh, I, I'm not too sure, but I uh, think the, like the road opportunity or the road, shall I say, is still there for him to go to Barcelona. But uh, maybe it's inter uh, jokingly Inter Miami, right? He t- always talks about how he wants to play uh, with uh, underneath David Beckham um, in his new MLS club that's coming, but uh, that's probably something that's not going to happen this summer.
1: <laughs> <laughs> no, I don't think they could afford him or his salary, which would be um, be nuts. But uh, yeah, it'd be interesting to see what happens to him. It'd be interesting to see if uh, you know. I, I said it. We said it a few. A few episodes ago, we were talking about Manchester City and Aguero and their, their over reliance on him to some extent in the attacking position. But maybe, maybe, you know, Manchester City could look at him and they use him as like kind of a false nine, how um, Guardiola did with Barcelona when he had Messi. Uh, you've got Bayern Munich who are looking to freshen up uh, the their whole squad. But the problem is with him now is that he's 28, going on 29, I believe. So you're going to have to pay a lot of money for a guy who's kind of at his peak and he's going to be declining from here on in. So do you want to make another Alexis Sanchez mistake if you're Manchester United? Probably not. Do you want to make another, you know, Nemanja Matic mistake, which costs 40 million and you've got a 30-year-old and he's, you know, he's not worth even 20 million now. So... What 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 is what is going to happen with him? I am not too sure, and he's obviously on a lot of money as well. Uh, there is all these factors to consider that that would uh, that would make it an interesting one. But I, I do think he's he's a, a quality player, sometimes underrated. His goal return and assist return is is often ridiculous. So um, if someone does get him, I think he'll improve pretty much any team of the world. But Matt, I mentioned City there. Uh, Very quickly, they are the the first team, or uh, they're they're for part of the first tie that we're going to kind of preview in the for the quarterfinals of the UCL. We've obviously got City versus Spurs. Uh, How do you see this one going?
0: This is an interesting one because you know we saw with the last Champions League uh, last year with Liverpool going head to head with uh, Manchester City, and you know when you see a team often or at least you have an idea of them you see them of course multiple times in the season twice and then sometimes cup ties and all that stuff i think that really works in tottenham's favor at least if they're trying to like kind of be the upset here uh i do believe that city is going to advance past this uh past the stage over tottenham i do think it's going to be a lot closer um than maybe people want to think that it would be i think people will look at tottenham against city and think yeah, Tottenham kind of had a good, pretty relatively good draw against Dort- uh, Dortmund. Got by them kind of quietly um, behind all what was going on with Juve and Atletico. Um, and now they're finally in the quarterfinals of the Champions League against City. But it, it, this is, I think City have way more to lose, obviously, in this tournament than Tottenham do. for Just for the simple fact, this has been the thing they've been chasing for years, really since uh, Pep Guardiola came in a couple of seasons ago. But even before then, when they spent all this money. So... With all this in mind, I do think there is a slight window for Tottenham to uh, upset them. Uh, they again, as I mentioned, they have seen them quite a bit. Pochettino does have a familiarity with the, the opposition and w- and ways to kind of get around them. Uh, but I do believe that Pep Guardiola and City are going to advance by this uh, by the stage. I think it's going to be very close, though.
1: Yeah, I agree. But I think there's also there's there's a bit of a psychological element here because they play them in the league, kind of sandwiched them together. I think they play them three times in a row, which is uh, which is crazy. So. I think it's kind of, I liken it to that situation where I think Arsenal played uh, Manchester City in the League Cup final and then they played them in the league uh, last season. It was, you know, it was was so demoralising for, uh, as an Arsenal fan, to kind of sit there in the second game and be like, you know, here we go again. I think they beat us, uh, was it 3-0 in both games? So I think, What Spurs want to avoid is losing heavily in that first game. If you can do that, then I think they're going to have like a a not a good chance, but they're going to have a chance. But I think you lose that first game, like, you know, even three, four, one, then suddenly you're going into a game with them in the next fixture in the league and you're like, oh, well, you know, we're just going to roll over again. And then you've just kind of got a, a game that means nothing really at their new stadium uh, against Manchester City at home. So I think the importance to Spurs, I wouldn't see surprised to see them be very conservative at home because I think what you want to do is just avoid a defeat. I mean, if it, it, I think if you offered Spurs a one nil defeat right now, they'd bite your hand off it, for it. Maybe even a two nil defeat, but Just if you're Spurs, you don't want to get destroyed. Uh, The the next, uh, the next one is United Barca. This is going to be a really interesting one. Yeah,
0: I think this is going to be the one that can probably go. It's going to be one of the one of four that's going to go. I think could go either way. The closest match, uh, the closest tie, shall I say, that is so much up in the air for me that I don't know uh, how I would pretty much lean in this one. Uh, Obviously, we talked about Barcelona. With having Messi and Suarez, they're one of those clubs that you know maybe when they're not playing that well, they still have the uh, the ability, just like Juve do when you have Ronaldo, to still kind of have that that big time player to decide you and carry you uh, past these uh these you know through these tournaments. But you know, with Manchester United, they obviously are a different team. Under all they they've been a little bit. Uh, kind of uh, a little bit inconsistent of late. I'm uh, not as strong, of course, but uh, definitely a team that is much different in this tournament uh, under him, no doubt. And. You know, there obviously is a little bit of history there. They've met each other in the Champions League final, even in some deep ties. Of course, the players and personnel has changed um, since then, but uh, players don't forget those things. They'll get up for those things. They try to use anything they can as motivation. Barcelona are probably the favorite in this, just for the simple fact, again, having Messi, Suarez. um, And really, since they have the title wrapped up, they can kind of prioritize how they rest guys ahead of this match. But um, I'm really excited. This is probably the one I'm the most excited about, if I'm being honest.
1: I'm really, mm, I'm really excited to see this one. I think there's going to be massive hype, and I just feel that Manchester United's defense is possibly too weak to to actually deal with. You know, if you've got Azmano Dembele back as well, which it sounds like he could be back at least for the second leg, maybe for the first, then it's going to be a problem. I can't see United going to the new Camp, for example, and and getting anything for uh, in that tie, um, let alone at Old Trafford. So. I, I do think Barcelona will go through, but I don't think it will be because the teams themselves, the quality is that disparate. But I think it's more because Manchester United's defence, if you just look at their defence versus uh, the the attack of Barcelona, it's it's such a mismatch. You're talking about Ashley Young, Victor Lindelof, Chris Smalling and Luke Shaw against Lionel Messi, Luis Suarez and Ismane Dembele. Like, come on. It's that's that's an automatic loss and unless they have all of them have the game of their lives I cannot see you're talking about Lionel Messi versus um you know Luke Shaw Ashley Young like come on it's
0: it's also it's also a big opportunity for Coutinho right you have to look at this situation and think if Coutinho gets some minutes if he gets an opportunity to uh feature for Barcelona against Manchester United at any point you know he's been considered a massive flop let's let's call it like it is and you know he has an opportunity here to uh, redeem himself or at least kind of make up for, you know, the the lackluster uh, start to his Barcelona career. So uh, he's going to be one to keep an eye on. I I think, you know, there's been people mixed on him for for years. He's been, he was great at Liverpool. Um, They got him on a bargain, of course, from Inter. But now since he made that move to Barcelona, it's almost like, all right, if you're going to turn it on at any point, let it be now, let it be the Champions League. If he's able to help them, uh, win a Champions League trophy, even in a, in a season that hasn't been that great, I think Barcelona fans would be a little bit more delighted with that, and they would say, "Okay, at least he helped us in this regard. Maybe we can keep him around next season. Maybe this helps him build." But um, yeah, there's a lot of like little like things that are going on. In some of these ties that I'm definitely keeping an eye on.
1: Yeah. Also, I just thought this Pogba being linked to Madrid heavily. I do know that he was he was obviously linked to Barcelona um previously as well so that'll be an interesting one because obviously the links for him are going to come to to go into La Liga so maybe for him it's kind of an audition for for the onlookers at Real Madrid if if he has a really really good two ties then maybe they say okay look forget about Eden Hazard forget about everyone else this is the guy that we really need um because I, I you know I don't think he's going to move, but there is no smoke without fire, that old saying, right? And it's all over the Spanish press at the moment, the links to Madrid. And he's also
0: Aminor Adola client Yeah, too, and, yeah. And he even meant, alluded to in the media, that he's saying like, you know, right now, when every time they say, you know, oh, Madrid's a blah, blah, blah club, you know, the great tradition, they say all those things, you know, right now, I'm happy at Manchester United, but let's see how things turn out in the se- summer. It's like, that's the worst That's the worst thing that Manchester United fans wanted to hear. Like They don't want to hear that. And, of course, we need to represent it again by Raiola, and he could possibly, possibly make an even bigger move than what he made to to Manchester United from Juve. Um, that's something that obviously will definitely appeal to Raiola, of course.
1: Of course. He's, he'd get a big chunk of that, and I'm sure he'd be very happy with it. But I think it's... It's an interesting one because obviously he's like twenty seven now, and this would be the the opportunity. This would be the only chance. But I think next season he'll probably be he'll probably be Manchester United captain if Ashley Young doesn't start. So, and I know he's got a good relationship with Oleg Asolschuk, but a guy that he also has a great relationship with is uh, Zinedine Zidane. So there's a, there's a bit of a story there in terms of are oh, Real Madrid gonna is this gonna force their hand if he has a really good performance because you know busquets is old rakitic is not the most athletic guy pop Pulp- pop Pulp- but Pulp- could have a bit of joy in that midfield but um i think you know overall in the two legs v psg he was kind of dominated by that uh, by their midfield obviously i know that they went on to win it he wasn't part of their second leg but i think that this barcelona midfield is a different beast and it's going to be um it's going to be interesting to see how he copes but the, the last... lost one is it's going to be a really interesting one again juventus versus ajax two clubs that are got so much history behind them obviously ajax have got probably got the the, the least to lose um, in terms of the whole tournament, in terms of expectation, probably them in Porto. For them, it's just kind of like show, go out there and show what you can do. But there are players in the Ajax team, aren't they, that are just auditioning for transfers in the summer.
0: One hundred percent. Um, and obviously we all know that uh, Frankie De Jong is on his way to Barcelona. There's tons of conversation and tons of talks around uh, De Ligt. Um There's all the big clubs are lining up for him. It's pretty much wherever he wants to go. He has his pick which is a good thing to have for a young player, right? Uh, who do I want to go to? Juve, Barca, Real Madrid? Uh, uh, we'll, we'll, we'll look at it in the summer, right? So he has his options, and, you know, that's obviously going to have uh, eyes on him for this time, especially who, against who, Juve. Who's
1: his, who's his agent again, Matt?
0: Matt? Oh, uh, Mino Raiola. <laughs> <laughs> of course, he's right? be of course right? uh, Say what you want about Mino you know, Raiola, how he is uh, as a person. But he has a pretty good eye for talent, and he does a he does a pretty damn good uh, job, job with uh, getting his his clients. So um, that's going to be a, a, one of the biggest focuses in this one, especially that game against uh, uh, Juve at uh, Allianz Stadium or Juventus Stadium, whatever it's called now. I know they keep changing it every season, pretty much. But um, let's see if uh, Real let see not Real Madrid let's see if Juve fans applaud delict like they did with Ronaldo as like a good omen to see if they can get him over. Um, but I, I look at this Ajax team and there's a lot of comparisons to draw in, in, and it's to a certain extent with um, what we saw at Monaco a couple years ago where they had so much young talent. Uh, Just a hop of being able to groom these young players and then sell them and flip them for great profits. Uh, It's unfortunate that I X is one of those teams that, again, with so much history, that they're kind of like being like picked apart. Um, But I think it just goes to show you how great of a job they do as a system and organization. Really, um, uh, you know, to develop these develop these talents from the top to from the bottom up. But um, look, Ajax has nothing to lose, they weren't expected to even be here, everyone looked at Real Madrid, even despite all the shortcomings they've had to get beyond Ajax, and Ajax find themselves in a, uh, in a big, uh, crucial tie against Juve, and if they're the team that can knock Juve off and end their hopes for another Champions League trophy, which is something they've been chasing themselves for, for years... Uh, I you think you know there'll be there'll be IX players where uh, that'll that their their values will skyrocket and even beyond De Jong and uh, De Ligt, you got uh, Neres right, who's who's playing for Brazil now. He's getting a ton of looks. You got a Tadic as well. Um, they are going to have quite a bit of talent around them this summer. And then uh, regardless of what happens in this, I think they're uh, those players are going to have uh, the pick of the litter of where they want to go. Ziyech as well. That gif is still going viral. That pass. <laughs> Yeah, yeah yeah always
1: yeah just one pass is still going nuts, what a what a player he looks, and a guy that is is strange that how long he's stayed in in the area divisa, but maybe this summer is the summer that they all move, and uh, yeah, you mentioned delict Minarola is gonna be licking his lips at this tie, um imagine if he puts in a great performance, maybe they don't win, but it's kind of like the you know mbappe versus Juventus in that in that tie. Really, everyone was like, okay, well, he scored against Buffon, Chiellini, Bonici, and uh, those those guys, so he, he's he's the real deal. So maybe if uh, the kind of marshals Ronaldo well, we could see a situation where Juventus are like, look, okay, we've seen this guy up close, we need to go get him, which is gonna be interesting. And uh, yeah, but, but I do I,
0: what's uh, crazy uh, too yeah, is I... what's crazy too. I'm sorry to interrupt, no, you. it's crazy too is that Davidson Sanchez went to Tottenham, I think, a couple summers ago, for what thirty-five to forty. Yeah, 40, 40 And million. you're looking yeah. at what the leaked could go for, and it's probably more than double.
1: Yeah. Which yeah, is crazy. I mean Minerola, uh, whether or not he, he scouts these guys himself, I don't know, but um he's done a cracking job. I mean Moise, he must Moise he must Kane be too. loving it. Moise Keen, um Delict, he's he's you know, pogba rumors coming up, like he's loving it at the moment. He must um how how amazing would it be to chat to him for like ten minutes? <laughs> he's he's uh, quite the character.
0: Oh, it'd pick his brain right i think it'd be pretty funny but i think you could probably get like this very like arrogant reaction towards him but you'd be like "Ah, oh, this is why he's yeah. successful though right everyone hates yeah. him but he's like he's the like the biggest heel the biggest like villain in football in terms of like the agent side of it yeah because i get
1: the impression jorge mendez is the other like super agent those two are the the guys right mendez is a bit more classy you know you always see him in a suit minarola he's the type of guy who's just, you know, probably track always suit. in a t-shirt, tracksuit, cigar in hand. Spilled coffee yeah, yeah, on like a, like, a, like a
0: white t-shirt.
1: <laughs> <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. The, the classic. And he just doesn't give a shit, uh, which is great. But um, the, the last tie, and I think it's probably the most straightforward one, is Liverpool-Porto. Um, expecting a pretty comfortable win here for, for Liverpool.
0: Uh, I am I think Liverpool are going to that I, I think that Porto are going to maybe give them a little bit of fight uh, again I alluded to this same reasoning the same logic um to the uh the Ajax and Juve situation. I don't think anyone's really picking Porto to, to do anything against Liverpool to move on. But uh, sometimes those are the teams, right? That that kind of you know, humble you, you catch you off guard when you have your guard down. They take advantage of it, and you know all it really takes is maybe uh, a, a, them squeaking in an away goal, you know, when maybe they otherwise wouldn't be expected to, to kind of say, hey, we, we're still in this. We well, you saw what happened with Roma Barcelona last year. So once I saw, once I see those sort of things happen. I could really never refuse or uh, you know rule out anything happening because you know you got to you regardless of the opponent you got to come to play right you'll be know, saw what happened with Ajax against Real Madrid you know, over two legs Ajax were the better team like hands down the first leg they didn't beat Real Madrid but everyone agreed that they were the better side and that second leg of course they they dominated Real Madrid so uh, Liverpool going to have to come to play no doubt uh they have the personnel they have the coach to do it to uh, To go deep in this tournament to make another Champions League final, but they got to come to play. I know they, they're trying to find that balance between uh, making sure that they feel the right formation against Porto to the point where they're not having to be in that position in that second leg where they have to you know kind of keep you know keep the foot on the gas, um, but they also have to keep in mind that they are chasing that uh, that, that very elusive uh, Premier League trophy that they probably have as priority number one at this point.
1: Definitely, definitely, and I think. Um... I think I think Liverpool will get through quite comfortably, but um, it remains to be seen how seriously they take it. Considering, yeah, as you kind of mentioned, they, they're desperate for that first Premier League title. I I, I just think that that's going to be at the, the top of their uh, priority list, isn't it? Jurgen Klopp doesn't want to let it slip. No, uh, no puns intended, and no offence to any Liverpool fans out there. But before we leave you guys, we've got the uh, our, our usual player profile. So today, Matt, uh, we're going to talk about uh, Tangai Ndombele, the uh, Lyon central midfielder who's uh, seemingly linked to absolutely everyone. So he's linked to Juventus, Manchester City, <laughs> Manchester United, Chelsea, PSG, uh, literally any big club that you can mention. And it's it's really interesting to see his his rise at the moment because obviously all the chat was about Nabil Fakir last summer. It seems that, Alongside Nabil Fakir this season, uh, Don is going to be a guy that is going to be chased by everyone. He's still only 22. Um, he's he's nearly six foot, so that he's kind of um, he's not the biggest guy in the, in central midfield. I think. That, yeah, yeah, yeah. I think there's been there's been a few people who have kind of been like you know he can be the number six that kind of like Cante but a bit more technical. I kind of liken him to uh, a bit like a Matuidi but far 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 better on the ball. He's got everything. Like this guy has got such an elusive step over. His drop of the shoulder beats anyone like honestly i mean if you watch the ties against barcelona he was superb i think he played through injury as well the interesting thing about him is and uh the the reason why there's so much discussion about how big the fee that he could he could go for in the summer is because leon actually have a 20 percent um kind of uh sell on clause from uh um because when he went from amiens to Leon, basically the the clause was that twenty percent of any profit that they make, um, is going to be going to Amion, and they only paid two million, uh, for the loan that they they got him on at first, and then they signed him for permanently for eight million. So you're talking about eight to ten million euros if they make eighty million, ninety million euros for him, then twenty percent of about seventy million euros is going to be going to Amion, which is a really really big, um. A really big chunk. I think, you know, teams that could get him, I, I think he'd probably be perfect for like a in Sarri system, one of the two guys uh, to the right or left of um, Jorginho. I just see him as being a box to box midfielder going forward. I think at the moment for Leon, he has um, the sport around him in terms of uh, the defensive capabilities where. They either play an, a three at the back where he's kind of uh, one of the central midfielders or when they play four at the back, he's um, there is a, a holding midfielder behind him. I just think he, he is such a fantastic footballer. He's one of those guys that doesn't really get that many assists or goals. But I do think that it's only a matter of time, you know, Matt, when a guy is this good. When a player is that good, their quality is going to shine through, and eventually they're going to get goals and assists to, to in some form. But um, it's really interesting player, a, a guy that's honestly so unique in, in the style of play. The only guy I can kind of yeah, as I mentioned, Matt Weedy, but far better on the ball, far far better, but similar engine. And I definitely think there's a bit of a um, in the in the way he drops his shoulder. It's it's crazy to think, but he's he's kind of got that um, winger. Feet like quick feet about him that the likes of Nicola Pepe who who drop their shoulder and, and get get man so quickly he's got that kind of ability but as you can imagine from central midfield that's that's really uh, a big asset and he's uh, he he likes playing that ball in between the the centre back and and full back always trying to play that through ball in so he's a guy that's got pretty much a bit of everything but is elite in several categories and goals and assists yes, I think eventually will uh, will come for him but Matt. It's, it's a really interesting player um, and one to look out for because I think he'll be a big headline in, uh, during the summer.
0: I've watched a couple of the games for him and from him uh, in the Champions League. And, you know, the tournament has a way of doing that, right? Of inflating a player's value, play getting that exposure um, that they may otherwise not get. Of course, with Ligue 1, PSG being the, the Premier League, the Premier, not Premier League, but the Premier Club, shall I say, that gets most of the attention with Neymar and Mbappe. But... Leon have done a great job in, in molding and in grooming some of these talents. I think they have a couple other on that squad as well um, that that are going to move for big money this summer. But Dombele seems like the one that's going to be the marquee, big demand player that uh, that Leon are going to fetch a huge, huge, huge profit on. And if, I've, if I'm looking at his situation and really what his future lies, I mean, this is that right age, right? You know, we've seen players at 18, 19 make the big moves, like Mbappe, for instance. But 21, 22, 23, like, you're ready to go. Like, you're ready to play, a, become a starting player for a big club if, if, you're, you know, uh, if your qualities allow for that. So uh, I, I think Premier League is going to be his next destination. Uh, I'm not going to rule out Real Madrid or Barcelona. Obviously, they're, they're pretty much... You can't rule them out of anyone because of their pockets, but um, I think the Premier League is where he's going to go next. I think there's a lot of connections between French players um, and the Premier League, and uh, you're going to see him uh, possibly go to a big Premier League club, and whoever gets him is getting a gem, as you pretty much just mentioned. He's uh, got that Matuidi-type uh, profile about him, but just a little bit more graceful, a little bit more quick, a little bit more delicate on the ball, and those things translate, of course, over a full season, and for a, for a midfield like Chelsea, for instance, um, who can definitely use someone like that, an upgrade type player over the guys they've had in that midfield over the past couple of years, right? The long gone of the Danny Drinkwaters, they need to get rid of him, they need to get rid of um, Ross Barkley. If the, if they are able to make transfers, if they're able to have some action on the transfer front, um, that would probably be one of the names that they definitely want to make a big splash at, but regardless, uh, like we mentioned with some of the other guys uh, off the uh, more earlier on in this podcast, yeah, he's got a great future ahead of him and he's pretty much going to have his, his choice of where he wants to go
1: definitely and uh, you know i rate him above uh, frankie Diong, for example so whoever gets him is going to get him for a lot of money and he's got the you know the control the elegance of the uh a or orziek that we talked about earlier, but in the central midfield area and you combine that with kind of the, the pace and the the strength of uh, Matuidi for example when the engine, the stamina, you've got a guy who's literally pretty much not good at not or not bad at anything, <laughs> um, is ridiculous. So uh he's he's a guy that, you know, I'd love at Arsenal, not gonna happen, but um, we'll see where he goes. But uh yeah, Matt, that's all we've got time for. Uh where can people find out more about you?
0: course on twitter at matt underscore santangelo i'm uh, working on a couple new articles for uh, the gentleman ultra and these footy times uh, of course this is coming out on a tuesday but if you guys haven't checked it out i had a guest appearance on the Couchland land podcast with david amoyal i'm sure you guys know we're very familiar with him um huge transfer guy he's done a great a great work under john uh, lucutti marzio's english site so um definitely check out that podcast if you haven't already
1: yeah, yeah I uh, had a listen to it and uh, you, were, you were awesome man uh, congrats uh, you can find me on uh, at Pet Berisha P-E-T-B-E-R-I-S-H-A you can follow us at State of Play Pod uh, if you want to hit us up on there I think our DMs are open slide into them um, you know follow us uh, please subscribe to the podcast uh, leave a review if you're enjoying it and uh, um, enjoy doing whatever you're doing while you're listening to the show